Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes and chapter number eight. As we've been walking through this wonderful book, this practical book, we've been learning wisdom. It is considered one of the wisdom books. And even though it's written by a man who currently is away from God, he is being honest in his outlook. And God is using the things of his observation to be able to speak to us and help us to understand matters of the heart. That we can get a good glimpse of ourselves and the people around us and see that there's a God still in control even when we are not. We find our way to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And if you don't mind, let's look together starting at verse number 10. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. And notice with me in verse number 10. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so. This is also vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him." But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity." Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life which God giveth him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes." Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet he shall not be able to find it. And if you don't mind, as we look at here, notice if you don't mind, we see this principle here. Uh, found in Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And notice the phrase that it says in verse 17. Though a man, a wise man think to know it, yet he shall not be able to find it out. And with this, we're going to hit a lesson here of what the wise shall not find. What the wise shall not find. Now that sounds kind of interesting. The idea that someone who 
has wisdom and is trying to find out things of the world. That we know that there are things in life that happen and that no one, not even the wise man, can figure out what is going on. The book of Romans chapter 11 says that God's ways are past finding out. Nobody can know absolutely everything that God has done and why has done it. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of offenses. There's a lot of things that make us shake our head and go, what just happened? What's going on? We have a lot of things that <coughs> cause people to wonder. Notice if you don't mind as we kind of dive into here. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 10. It says, And I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so. This is also vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of man is fully set in them to do evil. Here it's talking about that here are some people, a mystery that bad things are happening to good people, whereas it seems like for the bad people, they're getting away with everything. That they that when they die, they seem to be unpunished for all the things that they've done. And that's a great mystery. It baffles people. Why? Um, we know that working with, and all of us have heard statistics like this, that whenever there's a drunk driving accident, it always seems like the family of four dies and the drunkard goes away with no scratches. Yeah. That you're like, it doesn't make sense. I, there was a sign somewhere that said, see, it takes a, a family of four to stop one drunkard. That the idea that, that people have to die in order to wake some drunkard up. And it seems like, why is that right? This family didn't do anything wrong. It was a sweet and fa uh, innocent family. The uh, idea that there's things going on all the time. I heard... Um, Pastor Sexton once gave a, <coughs> excuse me, I'll, um, he gave an illustration that he said when he was uh, 20 years old, young in the ministry, he uh, went to go hear a famous preacher preach and he happened to sit on um, the balcony, but it was close the way that the building was shaped and he could see the facial expressions. And so he's expecting a good message and this world renowned preacher gets up. And instead of preaching, he just starts crying. And he says, I'm having a hard time because my son tried to kill me yesterday. And he goes on and says that his son that he had raised up had turned away from the Lord. And had um, kind of run off, was getting into all kinds of mischief. And uh, the dad chased him down through the, cities of, uh, through the city of Memphis, finally cornered him. And the son pulled out a knife. And was, you know, going to stab his dad and kill him. And his dad said, just please do it because you're killing my mother, your mother and I in degrees. It'd be a lot better if you just kill us right off right now. He said, go ahead and do it. And uh, the son decided not to, but it had just broken the dad's heart. Pastor Sexton said he was 20 years old and had in mind that I'm serving God. Nothing bad will ever happen to me. I'm serving God. Uh, nothing's ever going to befall me. And he realized at that moment that 
you could be godly and you could do everything what's right and bad things are still going to befall you. He says, 20 years later, he saw the um, same preacher in a cafe. So Pastor Sexton approached him and said, you know, 20 years ago, I heard your testimony about your son. Whatever happened to him? The preacher kind of looked and gave a sly smile and said, he's now my assistant pastor. Amen. God knows what he's doing. But at that time, they didn't know what was going on. They saw the heartbreak. They saw the trouble. But God is always in control. That's one thing that we have to keep in mind. God is always in control. God is always good. And God is always right. His ways are past knowing. We look at things and say, why would this happen? How could this befall? What can go on? And the answer is, is that even the wise, even though they search it out, they can't find out the answer exactly everything that God is doing. It's foolishness. We just don't have the capability. We don't have all the knowledge. We don't see it. The thing is, is that we have to start living by faith, trusting that God is always good and God is always right. Even when things don't seem to be good, God is always good and God is always right. We have to look at things by faith, through the filter of faith, that we can't look at it by sight. And yes, it does look like from time to time, the bad guys are winning. Those who are not righteous are getting ahead. Those that are evil are not being punished. Notice as it continues to go on, verse number 13, but it shall, <laughs> but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, that the wicked man, according that it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I say that this also is vanity. That it does look like sometimes that the crowd of the evil, the unrighteous are winning. And it just seems like why even bother? Notice the conclusion that Solomon just gives. It's almost like a, a shrug of the shoulders. Uh, he said, verse 15, then I committed mirth because man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God hath given under the sun. Now remember that idea of under the sun, which appears twice in verse 15, carries the idea without regard to God. So he says, listen, if we're going to take God to the equation, the only advice I can give you is just make the most of your life, enjoy things. But again, that's looking at it with God taken out of the equation. When we put God back in the equation, we realize that there is purpose. God knows what he's doing. But we have to trust him, even though the evil seems to be wicked, uh, winning. The man who started the Satanist church was named Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey is an interesting study because he was a church organist. That's where he started off with. He was also the circus organist. And he said he would watch as he was in the circus and he would play the organ at the circus, and he would watch all these men leering at the scantily cloud, uh, clad uh, circus performers, all the ladies, and they would seem to, with glee, enjoy looking at the ladies. Then those same men would go to church, and he would play the organ and watch them, and it didn't seem like the men enjoyed the things of God at all. They didn't look like they enjoyed church. They looked like they're just there. And so just by his own observation, he says, why go to church? Why serve it? Looks like the 
bad sides winning. So he switched sides and he started the Satanist church. Interesting. By the way, he also wrote a pamphlet thanking Christians for celebrating Halloween because it drives more people into the Satanist camp. But that's a different study. (laughs) But you know, that was an interesting observation. It looks like the righteous are, are losing, that the the evil are having a good time. How can you tell? By even the countenance of people in churches. Oh, final victory in Jesus. Whereas Packer game, everything else. Yeah, let's go. They have more fun in the secular world. They have more fun enjoying the things that they shouldn't be enjoying than what they do for the things of God. Wouldn't it be an obvious conclusion with someone taking God out of the equation that perhaps going to church isn't that fun after all because look at all the other people that don't enjoy it? Right? So we understand that we have a part in this and that we need to enjoy the things of God. We need to put God back into the equation of our thinking and look at things by faith and be able to trust him and not have a defeatist attitude, not have an attitude where things are falling apart and the sky is falling, but to be able to look at God and say, I don't know what he's doing, but I don't have to. I can trust him. I don't have to have the answers for everything. I don't have to explain why. I don't have to. I could by faith know that God knows what he is doing and we can trust him. Now with that in mind, let's see some things that we must consider that we must understand if we're going to live this way of having God in his rightful place and to be able to look at him by faith. Notice if you don't mind, we must understand truth. We must understand truth. How do we deal with these mysteries and more in life? We first must understand truth. What is the truth? That God is God and we must know the truth of who he is. That God is God. In Psalm 107 verse 1, it tells us that God's mercy endureth forever. God's mercy never runs out. It is continually given to us wherever we are. We must settle this in our hearts so we don't become accusers of God. God, you're not good. You're not right. Remember, anytime we complain, what we're doing is saying that God is not good and that God is not right. And we like to accuse God. God, why did you have to allow this to happen to this baby? God, why did you have to allow this to happen to my friend? Why did you have to allow this to happen to me? That if we're going to be able to survive in this world, we have to put God back in the equation and realize that he is God. He has more information than us. He knows what he's doing. And there may be some things that come in our life that may hurt us, but it's not going to harm us if we're able to trust God. We have to be able to look at him. When something tragic happens, the devil wants us to think that God has not been good to us. But nothing can change God's nature. Even the way that we handle things. If the bills are paid, the kids are healthy, sky is blue, we say, God's been good to me. And then when things are bad, we don't say God's good. We're like, well, I got this, and I got the aches, and I got the rheumatism, and I've got this. And we have a complaint system, but we don't say anything about God's goodness. God is good no matter what you're feeling like. God is good whether it's snowing outside or not. God is always good and God is always right. 
we have to go to him with, by faith and acknowledge that he is God. In Isaiah 55, let's just turn there really quick. <laughs> a great passage, but just as a reminder about who God is. Isaiah 55. So if we're going to survive in this world, in a world that does seem topsy-turvy, a world that without regard to God, putting God in the equation that seems like there's so many ills, so many things going wrong, so many misjustices, so many times the bad guys are getting away, unpunished, unscathed, unrepentant. Notice in Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number 7. Isaiah 55 starting at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man in his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. For to our God he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here God is clearly declaring he doesn't think the way that we do. He doesn't process information the way that we do. He doesn't even see the world the way that we do. And according to verse 7, he doesn't even see the wicked the way that we do. God says it doesn't matter who they are. God will abundantly pardon. You know, we're harder on people than God is sometimes. We have a hard time forgiving people. And God says, I'll abundantly pardon if they've just come to me by faith, trusting in Christ. What a great God that we have. But we like to hold things against, you know, again, just demonstrating our thought process is different. The way that we think, the, what we think is best for us is not how God sees the best for us. God is always good and God is always right. And God knows what he's doing even to allow mishaps and problems into our life, to allow consequences in our life, that he has a reason behind it. God is not being mean. He's not saying, well, I'm bored today. Who can I pick on? He always has a purpose and a plan. He always knows what he's doing. Our part is to by faith trust him, to look at him. Don't believe the devil's lies. No matter what you've been through, God is still good. And God is still right. He still loves you. And he's still merciful. This is the truth. Again, if we're going to survive in this world and be able to process with the things that are seem topsy-turvy, the first thing is that we must understand truth. The truth is that God is always good and God is always right. There's a second thing here is that we must consider time. We must consider time. What do we mean by this? When dealing with the mysteries in life, we must also know that the Lord doesn't work on our time schedule. Many of us like to play God and try to figure out what he's doing. But his timing is not necessarily our timing. Every single one of us have had prayer requests that we wanted to answer here and now. But God said, no, I've got something for you. Wait. Trust me. Wait. I've got something for you. Just trust me. But again, we get so impatient. Oh, God didn't answer my prayer. I think uh, some of my kids were telling us once that they had a teacher that was teaching people that, well, if you prayed for people for salvation for a year and they didn't get saved, well, God doesn't want them to get saved. Stop praying. What? Isn't that horrible? Yeah. 
And that's a mindset that, well, you know, you asked God a couple times when he said no, so it must not be his thing. No, there's an idea of waiting. God may be putting something in order. He may be doing something. You know, it could be the difference between if they got saved when we wanted them to get saved, they could have got saved, but they didn't serve God. God could have been allowing things in their life and preparing them so when they got saved, they got saved. We know that there's no such thing as saved, saved or savedist. But there are some people that seem to understand and appreciate it more and are more thankful. And they are willing to serve God. God could be working in their life to bring them to be the type of vessel. It could be that God was trying to get them at the right time in the right place. So that way when they got saved, the friends around them said, man, there's something real to this. And they get saved. We don't know. We can't even speculate. But God knows what he's doing. His timing is perfect. God knows what he's working on. The book of Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, a favorite verse of mine. It says, when the fullness of time was come, Christ was born of a woman. Think about that. When the fullness of time was come, at the most perfect time in history, the Lord Jesus Christ came down. Oh, it's Christmas time. I'll do it. I like history. When the fullness of time was come, think about this. When Jesus was born, it was the most perfect time in history. In all of world events, we know that they had three major cultures that participated in this. First of all, the Hebrew people were brought from their homeland and dispersed all throughout the uh, empires. And now the Jewish people, when they traveled and spread with them, they brought with them the scriptures that wherever they traveled, they developed something called a synagogue. And for every 10 families, they would have a synagogue. And the synagogue's purpose was to make sure they had a copy of a scripture. That meant that when they got spread all over the world, no matter where you went, you could get a copy of the Old Testament scriptures. God was good to allow that to happen. God was good to allow the Greeks to come. When Alexander the Great came, he believed that Greek culture was the best. And when he conquered the world at the young age of 33, he brought with it a common culture and a common language, the Greek language. And that by the time that Jesus Christ was born, no matter where you would travel in the known world, there was someone who could speak Greek. And you didn't have to worry about going to language school. There was always someone there that could speak that common language, which allowed the rapid spread of the gospel. Then after that, you had the Roman Empire, which to the Jewish people were the bane of their existence, the the evil antichrist, the worst thing that ever happened to them. They hated the Romans. However, when the Romans came, they gave something called the Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace. And with the Roman peace, they also had Roman roads. With the Roman roads, they didn't do nice curvy roads like we have in Wisconsin or Tennessee. What they would do is that the roads would always be straight. And that if the, there was a valley, they would fill in the valley. If there was a mountain, they would tear it down or go through it. So that way the roads were straight, not even up and down. It was straight to allow the quicker travel for everyone. 
with the Roman soldiers garrisoned all along the road. It was to guarantee that there was a peaceful travel for all of its citizens. So again, when the fullness of time was come, that God had already had place in all of history, the the Old Testament scriptures all around the world, a common language that people could quickly tell everyone about uh, Christ and tell about the story, and to be able to travel throughout the known world in relative safety and peace and quick travel to allow the gospel to spread. When the fullness of time was come, God had it at the most perfect time in history. See, his timing was perfect. You have the Hebrew people that had waited 400 years of silence. Remember, there's 400 years between the last chapter of the Old Testament to the first chapter of the New Testament. 400 years, where's God? 400 years, there's no prophet. 400 years, there's no scripture. 400 years, God's not speaking to us. Did he abandon us? Did he forget us? What is God doing? 400 years, and God says in the fullness of time. I was putting things together. You wasn't watching, but I brought the Romans to come in. I brought the Greeks to come in. I allowed the people to be scattered. I had a plan the entire time. God knew what he was doing. We must consider time that God knows what he is doing and he has a timetable and it's not our timetable because we would rush everything because we always want things instant and now. Can we trust God to work in time? We are anxious people. And because of that anxiousness, we want things now, 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 now. But if we trust God, we can allow God to work in his own purpose and his own time schedule. There are many mysteries of life and they could drive us down and make us difficult to live if we can't learn to trust God's timing. There's one more element that we must consider and have understanding of if we're going to be able to trust God and not panic and freak out, that we have to understand the truth that God is always good and that God is always right. We have to consider time, that God's timing is not our timing. We can trust him. Then we must consider the matter of trust, the matter of trust. Truth and time mean nothing unless they're brought together by trusting God. Job said in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. The Christian life is not a sight life. Anyone who is a reader would recognize the name of Rudyard Kipling, big author of yesteryear. Rudyard Kipling took his daughter in a grand tour around the world, (laughs) went and saw some great sights, And had just a wonderful time with her. Shortly after they returned back to England, she died. And he looked back and said, you know, the timing was right. Because if I would have known that she was under a death sentence during the trip, I wouldn't have enjoyed the trip. I would have just been worried about her the entire time. But because I didn't know, we made the most of it. And it wasn't on our mind. We were able to enjoy the time that we had. You know, there is an element of trust that God knows what he's doing. It's a faith life, not a sight life. The Bible says in Habakkuk 2, 4, that that the just shall live by their faith. The idea of just means those who are saved, those who are believers, they shall live by their faith. We don't live by sight. We live by faith, trusting that God is good and that God is right that we could trust him. 
we're at the place that we either trust God or we self-destruct. You can't survive in this world if you don't believe that God is in control. You just can't function. And there's many people who don't. Think about people who went through an offense, went through a thing of bitterness, and they can't move on. They live there. They stay there. They don't advance forward. They just relive it over and over and over. That's the self-destruct. They can't enjoy life. They don't live by faith. They can only go by sight. And I know what happened to me. I saw what happened and I can't get over it. It's just always in their mind. We have to look beyond that and see that there's a God that the just shall live by their faith. We have to trust God. It is a matter of faith, a matter of trust. Is God good? Is he right? Can we trust him? We can place all the mysteries of life in the hands of Jesus Christ. Let him be the great burden bearer. We don't have to trust it ourselves. Our simple thing is to be able to trust God, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Just to keep him in sight, knowing that God is always good and that God is always right. No matter what things befall you, you don't have to allow it to destroy your entire life. Oh no, I got sick. Oh no, that I just, I just could never serve God as long as I ever got sick. Well, you won't survive long. You know, I'm being facetious now, but there are many things that happen to people. Can you trust God? Can you trust that he knows what he's doing? And understand that the truth is, is that bad things are going to happen to you no matter what. You said, well, I have this idea that if I get saved and start following God, it's going to be a bed of roses. Sorry there, honeycup. It uh, doesn't work that way. Things are going to happen to you whether you like it or not. It's how do we respond to it? Can we trust God by faith or do we let it destroy us? Do we let it hinder what we're trying to do? The only way to live this life and survive it day by day and enjoy it is to be able to trust God that he's always good and that he's always right. The wise, they can search out the answers all they Thank want. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhouse. And to I encourage you to take we this information that you just received we'll and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. Has the if you answer. don't know Jesus Christ as your and Savior, not a let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ the for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.